Yes, good morning, everyone. So glad to be with you here. We're in week five of this New Year's series we've called All In, and I'm especially glad that the particular topic today lands on Super Bowl Sunday. And I don't know, maybe you didn't even know it was Super Bowl Sunday. Maybe that's where you're finding, I don't even know what Super Bowl is. I didn't know it was today. Uh, but maybe you were aware, maybe you are very aware, in fact, that a big sporting event is happening in our world. And you're, you're kind of geared towards that. Uh, I, I, f- I found it interesting that today's topic actually connects with some of the principles I see uh, around such an event like the Super Bowl. You know, why is it that, you know, 65,000 plus people are going to go to a stadium to watch a group of guys? try to get a ball across a line more than another group of guys. Why is that? Well, because this is a big thing for them. It's a big thing for the millions who are going to watch it around the world. It's a big thing for companies who are willing to put forth millions of dollars to have 30 seconds of your attention in the commercial breaks. This is a big thing. And for the National Football League, it's, it's players and it's fans and everybody attached to it. This, this event of the Super Bowl is the biggest thing, the main thing, the most important thing. And I find it interesting when you look at that, you, you realize, wow, whatever we view as the biggest thing on any given day shapes how we view all the other things on that day. So for you, if the biggest thing today is the Super Bowl, well, you know, you're arranging maybe your meal plan around that. Maybe you're arranging certain rides or to be at a certain place. It's, it's coming up in your conversation. It's going to occupy your time, uh, both before. You're going to make some plans as what's going to happen and what's going to look like, and same with, with afterwards. So how much more so for our entire lives? The biggest thing to us is going to shape all the other things around us and in us, and in our minds. And when we come to this Sunday in particular, we are looking at communion, or the Lord's Supper, or as Luke puts it in both Acts and in Luke, the breaking of bread, in which we are all headed towards this morning at a time of participating in that together. And it's so interesting that we're doing that because it is gathering around what we are saying is the most important, the biggest, the main thing of Christianity, of the Christian church. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 2 again, as has been our central passage for this series. And I'm going to read for us just this opening line from verse 42 of, of this place we found ourselves in for the last few weeks. And these are the, uh, the summary of what the, the first church did, the first Christians did, following the events of Jesus' life, his death, and his rising from the dead in this very city. And so it says, this is what they did. These first Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So we've we've discussed this concept of devotion. We've discussed what it means to be shaped by the word of God, the apostles' teaching. We've discussed fellowship. Uh, Last week we discussed prayer. And we're coming back around this week to this idea of breaking bread. Now, in the context here, it does definitely include just the sharing of meals, an extension of fellowship and sharing life together. But for Luke, it also means more than that. For Luke, it means something similar to what we've developed all the way, you know, through history to now, today, what we call communion, this act of remembrance. Let's look at Luke's gospel to see the the first event where Jesus institutes this with his followers. We see this in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. It says, when the hour came, so the hour for Jesus to go and die, the once for all death for the sins of the world, it says he reclined at table and the apostles with him. 
So again, this original core group of Jesus' followers. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So there's this commandment to do something, an act of remembrance, which they carry on and do on a regular, recurring, steady basis. Not just sharing meals together, but, but sharing in what Jesus himself instituted for them. And he uses this language of the new covenant, which if we know our Bibles, which if we know scripture a little bit, some of the backstory of this, we might bring to mind what God said to his people, but what he was going to do in the future, in the time when Jesus would come, in a time when a rescuer would come to deliver his people and, and offer new life. And just one place that describes this new covenant that we, that we need to have in our minds when we think about the breaking of bread, when we need to look at communion and see what all this means. This is from Jeremiah 31, and starting in verse 31, where God is speaking and he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, so this imagery he has coming out of his miraculous act of rescuing, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And here's what he says he's going to do. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So there's a lot happening when he promises this for us, and when he, when he sets up this new covenant, what he's saying is, look, remember what I said, I, what I promised. I will write my law on your hearts. You couldn't keep it before, but now I'm going to give you a new power. And just before we read this summary in Acts, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised him from the dead, and goes, here's what you now have, a power for your present. God himself living in you to help you follow me. The Holy Spirit promise. What else? Well, you know, you're not going to have people telling you know the Lord or, or try to figure out who he is. No, you are all going to know me. Why? Because this new covenant is going to open up the possibility of a personal relationship with the living God. More than just the Holy Spirit, though, more than just a personal relationship, it's also going to open up this way of forgiveness. I will remember your sin, I will remember your rebellion. I will remember the ways in which you've walked away from me no more. 
And so when we come around the breaking of bread and what the early church is doing is they're coming together reminding themselves, look, Jesus is the one who has brought this. Jesus has brought this forgiveness. Jesus has brought us the Holy Spirit. Jesus has brought us a personal relationship with God that now we experience and enjoy. And we are revisiting this miraculous, amazing reality over and over again in this routine we call church and this rhythm of the Christian life. And so as I was thinking about this in, in our context, I was like, man, we need, to, we need to read our communion passage in that light. And this is the passage that we often come around when we do a communion Sunday, when we, when we share the breaking of bread and the cup together. And this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul writes to the church, carrying on this tradition. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You are gathering around the biggest thing that underlies all of this, the central thing, the core thing, the fact that there is a living Lord who died a victorious death in your place and is coming again. And it's remembrance that leads to celebration. So for us, as we framed this series under these words of all in, like if we're going to approach this posture of remembrance in a fresh way, maybe in a new way that we haven't done before, or maybe in a way we need to come back to again for 2020 and beyond as the church today that God is calling us to, well, what exactly about this should, should we have in mind? More than just maybe the tradition this morning, maybe we need to think about some of the practical transformative benefits of this posture of remembrance. And so two categories I want to explore with us this morning. The first category is this, that most of our failure is rooted in forgetting. Most of the ways we fall short are rooted in us not remembering who God is and what God has done. So I'll give you a silly example of how this plays out. Uh, Back when my wife and I were engaged to be married, we were living in the same small rural Alberta town, a town that got cold in the winter, cold in the month of January. And on this particular month of January, as we're engaged, uh, she's living in her house, going to her job. I'm living in my house, going to my job in the mornings. And it was a weird thing where both of us lived a bit of a distance from where we had to work. It was a small town, but for some reason we picked jobs that required like over a kilometer of walking if we were going to walk which we typically did because, you know, we're trying to save money. We had kind of gone down to one car between the two of us, so we tried to share rides. And the arrangement we had on this particular morning was that my wife was going to go to work, and uh, it, because it was so cold, because it was so dark at like 7 a.m. when she needed to start walking, and because also at 7 a.m. the sidewalks typically weren't cleared, I was going to get her into my car, and I was going to drive her to work. So the plan was she would show up at my house, and for whatever reason, this is how we set it up, we would, we would, uh, we would leave from there. Uh, she didn't live too far away from me, so it just worked out that way. So on this particular morning, I, I knew this was going to happen, and, and I wake up, and I, you know, I'm in my nice warm bed, fortunately, because you know, it's cold outside, so I'm, I'm grateful that I've got you know, a roof over my head, a blanket to wrap myself in. I'm just kind of like starting to stir, and I, and I look at my clock, and I'm like, it's 8.30. She said, 7.00. 
oh no. And like, I'm like scrambling. I'm like knocking over like the lamp, trying to grab my phone. I'm like, oh, 13 unread text messages, seven missed calls. Like, what has happened? My doors were locked, so she didn't get in. I didn't hear the doorbell. I didn't hear anything. She didn't smash the window. She didn't do anything to try and, and break in and tell me, hey, this is the time. We got to go. It's cold. It's dark. I don't want to walk in this. I wasn't prepared for this. You know, this is just what happened. And Unfortunately, she got a ride from a coworker who lived actually like really close to me. They were going together. I don't know why we just didn't arrange that from the start, but this is just what happened. And, and you know, it, it all worked out fine, right? Like, you know, like we, were, we, we got married. We have two kids. Like, it's all good. She forgave me. She had grace for me, right? And, and you know, yes, sympathize with her, obviously, but sympathize with me. Like, imagine waking up in comfort and drastically going through, <gasps> like, are you scrambling? Like, right? Like, this empath. Oh, come on. Like, I need therapy for, like, this kind of stuff, right? And it's like, wow. Like, th that's what happens because I forgot to set my alarm. That's what it, what it all happened. That's why I failed as a fiance in that moment. I forgot to set my alarm. And that's a silly example, but we know this is true with a lot of other things in life. You fail that exam or that test because you forgot in some part the information you needed to do well on it. You forgot the data that was the target of the test. Or maybe it increases in, in, in seriousness. Maybe, you know, you, you, you want to cheat on your spouse because you forgot the fact of your commitment or the feeling of your love. Or you worry because you forget that God is with you, cares about you, and can carry you. And a lot of our, our failing and a lot of the stuff that packaged with that is, is found because we just don't remember we forgot. And there's a, there's a danger there. Now, I know, I know what you might be thinking is, well, yes, but we just talked about how the new covenant and all of what we are remembering is the fact that there is a God of grace who forgives. And so, yes, I will make mistakes, and I will make lots of mistakes, but fortunately, our God is big enough, his grace is big enough, and abounds far beyond my mistakes or potential mistakes to have new mercy and new forgiveness for me. And absolutely, we need to celebrate that. Absolutely, we need to be reminded of that. Absolutely, we need to cherish that and keep that at the forefront of our mind and, and make sure that that is the message we are hearing, that that is our God. But I'm concerned there's a second part to forgetting beyond just day-to-day -day mistakes. I'm concerned that forgetting is actually a major step towards forsaking. In other words, when I abandon the truths about what I've come to know about my God, who he is, what he's done, when I abandon the memory of his character and activity, I'm afraid that that's a doorway to abandon him altogether. And I know when I think about my life, and maybe as you think about your life, you're starting to kind of gather some thought about people you know. Like for me, I think back to my time doing camp ministry, summer Bible camp, and, and the people that were involved, yeah, the, the campers that would show up, the staff I worked with, and how we, you know, we would sing the same songs. We would pray the same prayers. We would hear the same testimonies of what God is doing. We would open up the same scripture and hear the same talks and respond in the same ways in that environment and make the same commitments and, 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 and sing God's praise in the same way. But for some reason, after, after that period ends and a gap of time transpires and somehow we reconnect, it's like, wow, you are not who you once were. 
Even looking at, you know, time in, in youth ministry in a church setting. You know, the, the students you're with, the leaders that you're with, you know, you're, you're sharing the same experience of, of, of missions trips and, and seeing God provide and, and, you're, and you're, you're seeing how he's doing the same things on those worship nights, on, on those response times. You're seeing baptisms. You're seeing, you know, the word of God move in power and, and convict people and move them to transformation. You're seeing all of that same stuff as, as we pray and God works and as we do this all together, we're seeing all of that. And as that period ends, a gap of time transpires. And you reconnect and you go, wow, you're not exactly who you were when I knew you back when we were sharing all that experience. That's like, well, I, I dove into my education. As good as it was, you know, I, I dove into my studies. I dove in, into the time I had to invest there. And, and part of that was I just I started to forget. Well, I dove into my career and, and you know, the, the, the pressures that came with it, the deadlines, the responsibilities, the, the, all the, the, what was wrapped up in that. And I just started to, to wander and forget. Oh, I dove into this new social sphere, this new group of friends, and, you know, we all came from different places and, and different experiences and different backgrounds and different values, and, and we started doing life together, and it just seems somehow that, that eroded my faith in a way where I just started to forget what I had seen God do. Or I dove into this relationship with, with my boyfriend. I dove into this relationship with my girlfriend. And somehow, you know, we came at it from different starting places. And, and, and that led us in certain directions. So that, yeah, now I am not who I once was. And forgetting and forgetting and forgetting took them to a different place. And I know, I know you know this is true because even as I, I talk about this, you know, a handful of names come to mind for you. Because they're coming to mind for me. And Lord, help us, like honestly help us, Lord, to remember to pray and remember to reach out and remember to reconnect with those who maybe are in a posture of forgetfulness because we know you love them and care for them and want your best for them. But there is a danger in forgetting. You can look and see the pattern of this all throughout Scripture where God's trying to remind them and set up systems for them. You know, in Exodus 12, he sets up the Passover, which is so connected to the tradition of communion and the Lord's Supper. It's like, I'm going to bring you out of a land of slavery. I'm going to bring you out of darkness. I'm going to bring you out of bondage. I'm going to do mighty things to get you out of this situation, to lead you into my promise, to lead you into my best. And by the way, it's going to take some amazing power, but you are prone to forget. So here's the Passover. Here's the tradition you can carry forward so that you don't forget. You see them setting up monuments and setting up ways in which they can remember. You look, at, you look at Joshua 4, you look at Deuteronomy 6, look at Psalm 106 and all of this. It's like, don't forget the Lord. Don't forget what he's done. Remember this. Don't forget. Remember this. Don't forget. Because our failing and maybe even our forsaking is rooted in forgetting. Which leads me to my second category of thought this morning, that remembering fuels our faith. See, forgetting takes us one direction, then obviously remembering ought to do the opposite and fuel our faith. And I know when I look at my own life, I realize that, man, memory and remembering, it cannot just be an event. No, it has to be a rhythm. See, like when I was in college, I, I think of it this way. I had a professor who, he didn't believe in exams. He said, nope, don't like them. Midterms, nope. Finals, don't worry about them. They're not a thing in my class. 
I'm like, this is already the best class. There's no way I'm dropping this one. And I'm like, tell me more. Like, how is this going to work? And, and he's like, well, you know, uh, what I don't like is when I see my students take a short temporary period of time, cram all this data, all this information, all this class material, all their notes into this condensed investment of energy, and, and they pour it into their heads, they, they spew it out on paper, they, you know, they, they regurgitate it, they throw it out, and, and then, you know, maybe they perform okay on the test, but they never learn the content. I'm like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. What are we going to do instead? Well, he's like, what we're going to do instead is rather than just you cramming for a moment, we're going to have a routine, we're going to have a rhythm whereby I regularly quiz you to see if you know the material. Because what he valued was not a mark on a test. What he valued was you knowing the subject. And when I think about that, I think about my own life as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, and go, how much am I depending on these intense, concentrated events or moments to be the whole thing my faith is built on? Where it's like, I'm going to go to church, you know, twice a month, or I'm going to go to that worship night, or I'm going to go to that conference, or I'm going to try to get plugged into a group that meets midweek. Fantastic. Awesome. Please do that. Yes, that will sustain and build your faith in community. But is that just cramming for me? And is it just cramming for you, or is there more? Is there a rhythm of remembrance? Is there a rhythm by which you return to the truths of who God is beyond just a moment? And I think we need that. I think I need that. Because remembering can fuel our faith. Especially in an age where there's a lot of distraction, especially you know, for the first church as they're in Jerusalem and they're in the same city where Jesus was killed, you know, this, this is going to start to create some conflict. So they're going to have to remember when the going gets tough, they're going to have to return again and again together, not just remembering in isolation, but remembering in community. Hey, look, I'm returning to the truths of the person and the work of Jesus who's given us the Holy Spirit and forgiveness and a personal relationship with God in this new covenant. I need to return to that over and over and over again in a rhythm. And we see that this is what they are doing. More than just a tradition for, you know, communion or the Lord's Supper, as valuable as that is, I wonder if that could be a springboard and take that principle with us into more than just a single event and into a rhythm. Because we're going to need to do this. Because think of, think of things from your past. You know, maybe it was a, a coach who said something demeaning to you. You're on that field or you're on that arena, and he said something that has just never left you. It was demeaning about your skill or maybe your looks. And now your, your self-worth, every time you think about your worth, you're replaying that coach's words. Or that peer group you attach yourself to that made that joke that one time, and maybe they didn't realize how that was going to play out, but now you've carried that with you. And you're replaying it, and then when, when you think about your identity, it's like, man, I, when I replay that, that's all I can think about. And so your big thing that is shaping all the other things is something from your past that is trying to replay and define your life for you. Maybe not a word, maybe it was an, an accident you were in or some conflict you had. And trauma is the thing that wants to replay in your mind to define life for you. Or maybe it's not even from the past, maybe it's from right now. Where it's like you woke up, you got the phone call from your lab results and they were not what you were hoping for and now your health has become the big thing that is shaping how you view all the other things. 
You know, you're trying to go to that birthday party. You're trying to go to your job and do what you have to do. But in the back of your mind, what is replaying over and over and over is, hey, your health. Hey, your identity. Hey, remember when you checked your bank account and there's those bills you knew you had to pay or those debts you had to try and pay off? And now money is the big thing that's shaping all the other things. Now we're going to replay that over and over again. And maybe not just past or present, maybe it's even the future where it's like you're playing these scenarios in your head. You're looking at the variables of your life. You're going, well, what if this? What if that? Now there's this worst case scenario mentality. And now every time I think about what's ahead, what's replaying in my mind is fear and anxiety. And now that's trying to dictate to you how you should feel or how you should think. And that's the big thing. But whenever we have these big things trying to replay, I wonder what would happen if we just returned. That we fight the replay with the return to the events of Jesus proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. So that we remember, I have forgiveness of my sin. I have a personal relationship with God. I have the Holy Spirit. And so try to replay these things about my identity, my money, my worth, my health, my fear, my future, and try and replay those and see if that, what, what that will define when I'm going to return and let what defines me most and what should define our lives the most is the fact that Jesus lives. I'm going to fight the replay with the return over and over again as many times as it takes because this is the big thing. This is bigger than your big thing. And this is what we come around this morning to celebrate together. That whatever your starting point, whatever is trying to come to your mind from your past, present, or future, there is a bigger thing for all of us collectively to come together and go, our God knows us, our God loves us, our God did everything when we could do nothing to forgive us, to give us the Holy Spirit, to give us forgiveness of our sins until he comes again. And I'm going to come around that table regardless of what I'm coming to the table with, knowing that that's the biggest thing. So I wonder this morning, I wonder if we could take the posture of the psalmist as we do communion together. Just one place we can, we can look to in Psalm 77. I wonder if this could be where we find ourselves this morning, where we go, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And as we hold up the biggest, most important thing for us this morning, I hope that leads you to celebrate in a new way around this table today. And as we hold up that big thing, maybe before we get to celebration, we actually come to collision because we go, I'm not following Jesus and I can't say he's my biggest thing. Well, today he could be. Today he could be. You could put your trust in him as your Lord and Savior and today could be that first day where let that collision happen but let it run into celebration. Or maybe you are following Jesus and you're going, okay, if we're coming around this table and this is the biggest thing, I've got something else right now that is a bigger thing and I need to do some business with the Lord before I come to the table. I'm going to let these things collide. I'm going to bring it before the Lord, put my trust in him afresh, give my life to him anew in an act of surrender, and then I'm going to end up celebrating again as I ponder his mighty deeds, the biggest, most central, most core thing for us. Not just a tradition from the past that's life-giving and meaningful, but something practically transformative for us here in 20.
20 today. So let me pray as we enter this moment together. God, I thank you that we have something so good and so true to celebrate. And that whatever has been trying to pop up in our mind to shape our perspective of ourselves or of you or of the church or of others, that as we return together to celebrate your body and your blood that was given for us victoriously as we look ahead to your return, we would meet with you together and celebrate you together. Thank you for this moment. Thank you that we have our past redeemed. We have a power for now in the present and a great hope for the future. Help us to celebrate that afresh today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.